Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you all are. My name is David Orban, and uh, I want to welcome you to Searching for the Question live. Um, we are streaming live on Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, uh, on Facebook, both accounts, pages, and groups. Uh, it is the nature of our wonderful broken internet where interoperability is a dream and we are all forced to go native and then try and navigate the complexity of uh, collecting and connecting the various uh, streams of communication. But wherever you watch, you're welcome to comment. Uh, and that is the beauty of being live. I will be able to pull in your comments and uh, respond to your questions, um, take the direction of uh, the conversations uh, towards what you like, what you desire. It, we are uh, also taking these uh, conversations uh, in uh, offline or, or asynchronous rather than offline platforms. Uh, You're welcome to join uh, our Discord server where we continue um, discussing the themes that are uh, covered in, in our episodes. Uh, and uh, you can also suggest guests for the future and vote on the guests suggested by others. Um, and if you like uh, the content that uh, together with my team I produce, uh, you are very welcome to become a fan, a sponsor, a supporter, or a benefactor on Patreon at davidorban.com slash Patreon or patreon.com slash davidorban. All of those URLs work quite well. Today, uh, the theme that uh, we are going to discuss is augmented collective intelligence. Um, and this is a very uh, important theme, uh, especially uh, close to um, what I like to think about and uh, also discuss, uh, but also to try and practice with the help of obviously uh, the machine intelligence that is uh, supporting us in an ever more effective manner. And uh, uh, the guest that we are going to discuss it with uh, is the uh, Chief Innovation Officer of Jampact. Uh, he is uh, a part of the uh, MIT uh, Collective Intelligence Design Lab. And uh, he most recently published uh, the Augmented Collective Intelligence Report uh, with a, a special focus on the future of work. So welcome Gianni Giacomelli to uh, Searching for the Question Live. Hey, thanks, David. Thanks, thanks for having me. Uh, so let's uh, um, discuss first uh, before uh, we talk in, uh, about uh, the core of our uh, conversation. Um, how did you get to where you are now uh, at MIT, um, at uh, the sea level uh, of a GE spin-off, uh, publishing wonderful works? Uh, uh, what was your trajectory in, in getting uh, to where you are now? Uh, 
Not quite sure, actually. I think that's a question my teenage daughters ask me all the time. But I think a lot of this is serendipity. Uh, you just bump into a bunch of things, and at some point you discover that there's something that you really like, and that is uh, aligned with uh, uh, interest of uh, large companies. And you know, in this case, uh, you know, I used to work for uh, other places, Boston Consulting, SAP, etc. And so. I've gotten to uh, you know the spin-off of General Electric that uh, does a little bit of work uh, that Accenture does, uh, so you know uh, GenTax, and uh, in uh, it was really at the intersection of uh, global workforces and uh, technology. Right, um, I've always had an interest in in those things, um, and I think you know, it kind of clicked, um, and I've been here for ten years, which which is well, it's a long time. Um, I was in New York City for the longest time, and I just moved to uh, Berlin, um, uh, Berlin, Germany, uh, you know, six weeks ago. Um, MIT, I've been uh, involved in uh, the collective intelligence work of MIT for about 10 years. Um, first as a uh, sponsor, um, uh, you know, corporate sponsor, uh, they did projects for me. And I always find that the uh, collective intelligence angle is a fresh angle uh, that goes a little bit away from you know, the tried uh, man versus machine kind of discussion. Uh, we had way too much of that. And the collective intelligence is actually a way of bringing, um, you know, together the two perspectives, right? And, and actually beyond that, um, you know, the, the, the point of view of the network, not just individual people and machines, but really meshes of uh, people and machines, which is a different design model. And so, you know, working with the MIT folks, we, we found that uh, we had a bunch of things in common. I found that uh, it's, it's, an, it's a set of methods and a, it, more than anything else is a, is a mindset and a worldview that is worth supporting, especially in a time that is divisive and as complicated as ours in which people really fear anything related to machines. And that's where we are. So uh, we have uh, Biagio saying hello from uh, the beaches of Sicily. And uh, yes, Biagio, we envy you, uh, but thanks for following uh, uh, loyally uh, nonetheless. Um, now, um, I always like uh, to, to give context uh, around the themes that we cover uh, also from a historical perspective. Um, is the concept of uh, collective intelligence recent? Uh, are there sources in ancient Greek texts? Uh, uh, did Plato or Aristotle uh, deal with uh, how wisdom emerges not only from the individual but groups? Um, so you're, you're saying if it's been research and scores and you know focused on the intelligence of the collective as opposed to the intelligence of the individuals. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think a, a number of organizational um, uh, designers and sociologists have been uh, looking at this for a long time. I'm not an expert in, in that. I, I think my, my focus is really more on the contemporary organizational design and what technology allows you to do. Uh, but, but I think, you know, if you think about it, there's, there's a very strong uh, social and even political undertone in, uh, in the concept of is the individual important or is the group important, right? So there's been uh, actually uh, ideologies that have been built on one or the two, right? And uh, and I think largely uh, the the modern capitalist environment and the economies that we live in, uh, at least in the last in the post-war, 
have uh, been kind of emphasized the role of the individual, right? The role of the agency of the individual, the, the role of the uh, individual leader. Um, and, and I think uh, you have plenty of literature around that. There's been quite a few people, especially of late, who've notes, noted that um, you know, individual leadership is only one of the leadership uh, methods that uh, that could be used, and especially in a high information intensity uh, environment like ours, you really can actually get a lot out of you know the work that many people do together, right? So, so yes, there's there's a rich um, historical uh, background, um, but I think the the fact that we have the technology that we have today completely changes the paradigm. Um, and 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 that is of course uh, the difference between uh, whatever absolutely admirable philosophizing uh, ancient Greeks uh, uh, did so much so that two thousand or three thousand years later we still refer to them and our ability to uh, actually implement and experiment and verify whether those thoughts and and of course uh, ones that. Uh, with equal uh, merit came after uh, are useful and uh, they they can lead to uh, better organizations uh, um, more uh, efficiency and and further represent a, a platform for iterating and and uh, improving additionally um, now the 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 pace of change uh, is is accelerating actually uh, i published and formulated a paradigm last year um talking about jolting technologies where we are talking about uh, an increasing rate of acceleration uh, where an exponential is not even enough uh, to express uh, the implications uh, of uh, and the impact of, of of technologies this is especially uh, evident in, uh, in in artificial intelligence um, and the glimpses of of what we can do today uh, have been potentially a apparent you know 20 40 60 years ago but uh, the the ability to to act hasn't hasn't been there uh, any anybody who would have imagined uh, Wikipedia, even even though thinking about it would have sounded absurd to the vast majority of of people, including me probably, before knowing that it could exist, it could emerge. Um, it it was it was not only a dream, but it was also almost uh, impossible to think of. So, uh, what is the uh, the ability of of uh, your approach and your um, uh, framework uh, to be also predictive uh, uh, rather than retrospective and and analytical can can you apply it to to future challenges as well do you do you think that it can be a, a leading uh, indicator or a leading light of, of organizational design? Well, absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, um, Wikipedia is one of the few uh, large-scale uh, organizations that use uh, uh, systematically only collective intelligence to do what they're supposed to do. Um, you know, again, an organizational model that wouldn't have been possible 20 years ago. We didn't have the tools. 
But also people didn't think about it that way, right? They said, you know, yeah, it's great. You have communities of people who write blogs and this and that, but you cannot do quality control. And, and obviously Wikipedia proved everybody wrong. And if you think about it, Wikipedia actually did it with very low technology, right? I mean, it's, it, you know, the, the hardly any um, advanced artificial intelligence has been applied to Wikipedia, especially in the first in the first period. I mean, in these days, increasingly, you have bots uh, completing, you know, uh, stubs and uh, whatnot on Wikipedia. But in the old time, it was just, you know, collaboration environment. But right? but it is still proudly ugly. It's uh, I think it's a feature, not a bug. Uh, they, <laughs> you know, that's what they do. They say, hey, um, and to some extent, as some others uh, of, of the, uh, of, you know, if you look at Khan Academy, for example, mm -hmm. there's a there's a beauty in the scrappiness of the thing, right? Um, because they, they focus on something else, right? It is very lightly edited, as in visually, but then you know that this is where the world's knowledge lives, right? And, yeah. and look, you know, YouTube to a certain extent does the same, right? I think we've gotten used to a certain amount of roughness around the edges and i think this is the method of production now back to your question um and i certainly do believe that uh, the use of collective intelligence as an organizational design mechanism is going to just ac accelerate going forward and the reason for that is very simple um if wikipedia could achieve what they achieved when they only had literally a little more than a workflow to work with right they hadn't really gotten much more than that what is it going to be in the future when the corpus of knowledge that acc accumulates and is searchable uh grows um non-linearly right every year um if you think about it the only uh engines that really mine that deeply are search engines that are connected to you know advertising revenue if you if you think about it but then you see the emergence of other things that are completely revolutionary. Uh, I don't know if you know what um, uh, GDELT is, right? So the GDELT project was, and still is, um, an incredible effort in machine translating every source of published news in the world. So you have, actually, I don't think it's every source, but it's 100 languages. Um, and it's incredible. It's actually one place where you can find all news in any language, machine translated, or in quasi-real-time, and you can use it for all sorts of things. Now, it's a repository, but then on top of that repository, typically you had only things like uh, Google search or that kind of things, and increasingly, though, natural language processing allows you to, to actually get a lot more out of the enormous amount of content that, that is published. So many folks in your audience possibly have heard about GPT-3, right? So if you look at what happens with GPT-3 and you put it on top of uh, GDELT, what is possible, right? You know, literally GDELT is, um, you know, has been thrown at um, published media in a way that then make it, makes it searchable. You can use all sorts of query mechanisms. But GPT-3, which, by the way, is still full of bugs and, uh, you know, the hype is like an order of magnitude bigger to, to compared to what it does. But it tells you that you can actually point this thing at a corpus and this thing will actually start answering things in a way that is reflective of the corpus. So to me, one of the killer apps for this will be um, summarization, right? I mean, how do you summarize news about 
Let me just make it up. Um, climate resiliency, architecture for climate resiliency in, um, um, in developing countries. Well, GPT-3 could actually give you an answer based on all the news that appear everywhere in the world. And probably not today, but at some point it will tell you, look, if you need to reinforce the roof, there's maybe this guy from Indonesia who did this. It's actually not a query. What GPT-3 will do is will combine what comes from, you know, Mexico, Indonesia, uh, you know, some other place in India, etc., and will give you an answer of, oh, you know, you could do things this way, right? So now back to your point about organizational design of the future. Well, think of what that could do. Right? Why do you need to have the organizational structure with, with you know, typically or, uh, hierarchical design that we have in large organizations, whereas you can actually farm out a lot of the knowledge intake to that corpus of knowledge and put an algorithm on top? I mean, it's like almost having low-level analysts who churn out work for you every day. Right? And this is just one of the use cases that you could, but, but to me, it's one of the most incredible ones, especially because, as I said, and as you know, you talk about all the time, the corpus of knowledge is going to increase. Part of this is going to be created by humans, as in we all write blogs, we all have you know podcasts, video casts, etc. And you know, right? You know, video casts now can be transcribed, they can be searched. So all of this is not just video; it's not pixels to a machine. This is content, right? Um, but then machines will continue to produce stuff, right? These machines who create stock market reports and uh, weather reports and machines will continue to create. So the corpus is expanding uh, non-linearly. The only thing that is preventing us from harnessing all of that is we don't have machines that make sense of natural language in a cogent way. Um, but you know, the moment we'll have them, and again, with GPT-3 and a few of the uh, natural language processing uh, improvements of the last two, three years, you know, you're not so far, right? So imagine the possibilities, right? And this is just one of the use cases. Um, one of the challenges uh, is that um, the ability to actually perceive the rate of change um, is limited, uh, even though the rate of change uh, accumulates and the implications and the impact of the applications by those who do have that perception uh, enables uh, further uh, applications and definitely we are at the point where we don't have time to educate the next generation to uh, be comfortable with the tools and the organizational structures and the requirements to be productive part of a community or uh, a company, an enterprise under those new assumptions there's just not we, we don't have 20 years for the generation to grow up yeah. um you you mentioned the gpt3 and uh, uh open ai that uh, that published uh, as of right now just the api around gpt3 also because it is so large that uh, even if they published uh, the the source code in order to train the neural network Today, you would need about four or five million dollars in computing uh, power. Yeah. And, and it's not that it is not available to several corporations and, and, uh, and, uh, and organizations, but um, it is both expected that this cost will come down as well as it is expected 
that whether in a year's time or two years time or six months time, GPT-4 uh, with uh, maybe half a billion dollars of cost of training is going to be uh, as much of an improvement on GPT-3 as it has been on the previous version. So assuming both that human nature is unchanging um, unless we talk about biological timescales and uh, the adaptability that we have is finite, uh, what can an organization do uh, except giving up? What, what is, uh, and, and, and it is somewhat poignant that you are associated with MIT because universities and colleges are under great threat to prove that they uh, both deserve the tuitions that they uh, that they ask for, and that uh, the whole concept of a four-year college is still uh, applicable to to what we need to achieve. Look, my view is there's space for both, but um, um, I'm going to give you. Uh, uh, a perspective, and by the way, I talk about it at length in the report uh, that I published recently, uh, uh, you know, which can be found at uh, supermind.design. Um, there's, a, there's a very interesting book um, that came out of, uh, a couple of years back that is called Learning by Doing uh, by a person called a professor at the University of Boston called uh, James Besson. Uh, his point was that in all uh, radical innovation waves, when uh, some uh, pace of technology inflects, uh, the limiting factor of societies and economies to harness the new technology wave is not the luminaries. Right? I mean, you obviously you need those, right? You need the MIT professors. You need to have the uh, super incredibly smart uh, MIT PhDs or any other university. But really, the, the dominant uh, limitation of, a, of the world in harnessing and harvesting that possibility is call, call them the rank and files, right? The people who are going into, so to take uh, industrial revolution, uh, people who are going in with the ranches and, you know, are able to restructure the uh, assembly line and continuously improve that assembly line by using now electrical motors as opposed to um, steam engines. And some of it is going to be done by, again, you know, some high-level person who comes in and has a visionary design. But a lot of the percolating down of that knowledge and the use cases and the harnessing of the use cases really depends on more normal people, right? It depends on people who are able to, to again, apply some of the, again, you know, we're talking about uh, GPT-3, you know, somebody will take um, the API and say, hey, I think I can use this to do this. Right, uh, and, and um, is, is the book you are referring to this one uh, by Richard Dufour or no, James no. Besson, James Besson um, at University of Boston? Um, Besson B E S, yeah, either N or M, uh, learning by doing, yeah. There you go. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. Really good book. Um, Again, I think you know there's, there's quite a lot in there, but but the analysis is super powerful, and I think the the analysis actually has an implication that is quite important for uh, large organizations, which is you got to invest in reskilling and broad basing of the new knowledge. 
it doesn't matter if you know all your people are not going to be data scientists who actually know how to use Python properly. But it's important that a bunch of people know that you can actually take a JSON repository somewhere and you can actually structure the data in a way that somebody can actually run a bunch of hypotheses and create a model and then you can test the model. And that knowledge needs to be broad-based across an organization. Because the moment you have that, then the functional people will be able to go to a subject, uh, uh, to a uh, data scientist, for example, and say, try to do me this. The problem is always, um, uh, David, information asymmetry, right? There's people who have knowledge of the new stuff. You know, you and I were talking about GPT-3 and, you know, GDELT, etc. Most people don't have any idea of that. And most people in companies actually have no idea of that. But the moment they have a smattering of understanding of the possibilities of those and also the limitations of those things, right? These are not, you know, acts of God, right? I mean, these are machines that make mistakes, etc. But if you create that reskilling infrastructure that allows a broader base of people to know at least what the after the possible is, then they will go and, and, and present to a subject matter expert who is really an expert in that very detailed you know, field. Again, it can be anything from any artificial intelligence, analytics, you know, robotics, or anything. But then they can connect. There's no information asymmetry anymore, right? I come to you, you have part of the answer, and I bring you a couple of ideas of what I, I had a hunch that could be done. That is what makes the difference in, in application. So if, if you wish, this is a relatively simple trick that any organization can totally. adopt just by realizing that allowing, if possible, imposing, if necessary, that a certain percentage of time of everybody must be dedicated to learning, um, and it is not the classical okay, training and certification and licensing requirements that many professions have, which is perceived as a necessary uh, cost of, of, of being in the profession, but it is really the joy of serendipitous exploration of the interconnectedness of tools, challenges, unexpected questions, and their mutually reinforcing ability to, to support both the individual and the organization. And, and, and when this is uh, implemented well, uh, incredible things uh, come up, like, for example, Gmail, which was the result yeah. of the free time of a Google engineer saying, email sucks, I think I can do it better. And it was then and became one of the uh, successful uh, products of, uh, of Google. And, Emiliano is asking uh, uh, whether it is true that uh, CAPTCHA uh, was uh, used uh, to, to train AI. Uh, absolutely true. Absolutely true. Uh, originally, uh, CAPTCHA was um, the, the merrily squiggly uh, writings that you can still find on Yahoo, for example, and some other uh, uh, sites that, that didn't realize that something better is available to stop you or stop bots from opening accounts. Uh, and and uh, whether the squiggly lines can be uh, read by bots or not, sometimes they can. Or 
uh, the, 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 the Filipino or Indian um, uh, people who are given the image of the captcha are fast enough to help the bots get in because they are reading it for them. But uh, Luis Fonan, who created reCAPTCHA, uh, realized that the challenge could have had the benefit of training uh, AIs. And originally, it was applied for digitizing books uh, so that uh, uh, the parts of the book that uh, were not sufficiently clear uh, could be supplemented by human intelligence and the optical character recognition was complemented by human character recognition. These days, uh, when you solve a, a, a CAPTCHA uh, and, and uh, we, can, we, can, we can see immediately what uh, we are talking about um, just by looking at the images, um, hmm. I, I would have thought, here you go. So when you see one of these images uh, on a website that says, select all images with commercial lorries, you are absolutely training the AI because you are labeling something that the uh, uh, automatic recognition, the neural network wasn't able to confidently say, yes, that is a commercial lorry and and the tasks are unlimited and the benefit is huge whether we are talking about self-driving cars um the, the ability to navigate better on on uh, maps it, and also of course applied to many many other tasks so it is a great example of human machine collaboration exactly what we are talking about thank you emiliano for the question Hey David, uh, if I may, you know your point about uh, how do companies can imp uh, implement, um, uh, you know, reskilling uh, at scale, and, and your point about serendipity. I think you're right. I think part of it is culture, and part of it is you know top down. Uh, th this element of discovery needs to be part of the narrative of senior management, so that the culture embraces and rewards. Uh, you know, like Google, right? Your example, Gmail. One of the reasons why this happened, it just the, the, it just the incentives and the reward mechanism and the process were, were, you know, all point in the direction of, you know, just try. Most companies are not like that. And I would, say, would also say, though, most people working in companies, much of their time, they are not in the discovery mode. So I think there needs to be a balance between enabling the discovery, but as well as guiding individuals um, based on their profile and what they know towards a curriculum that kind of adapts to what they are, right? Because, you know, if the if the endpoint is common, the starting point is not common, right? Every person will have their own mix of skills, etc. And so, what I've found, and by the way, in, in on the Genpack side, with I I I really have had the opportunity to work with our CHRO as in the head of HR to overhaul our learning and development, which is you know nineteen you know nine almost hundred thousand people. Um, it's actually not easy to do it at scale. And we used collective intelligence methods to create communities of knowledge, right? So that, you know, there's a point that you were alluding to before, which is this knowledge that we're talking about is a lot more fleeting than the traditional knowledge, right? Traditional knowledge could be valuable for 10 years. 
now a lot of things that you and I are talking about, you know, we're talking about GPT-3. You know, next year at the same time, the thing will have moved on. I don't know if we have GPT-4, but, you know, certainly the boundaries of that thing have changed. So I think it's quite important to keep this thing fresh. And so communities of knowledge are actually much better than the typical top-down hierarchical, I have a vendor selling me, uh, you know, documentation and training. So I think, you know, some those, those are some of the tips for uh, for large organizations. In our case, we have, again, 70,000 people every month going through the training mechanism. There's like there's probably 600,000 hours of, of learning every month. Um, and all of that is only possible because knowledge is fresh, but we also serve it up in a fairly personalized way to the individuals, right? Um, to supplement their, uh, this, say, their serendipity or their their uh, inner uh, discovery uh, motive. Um, the 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 report uh, that you published uh, and which is uh, freely available on Supermind uh, Design. Uh, uh, is 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 wonderful for for many reasons uh, thorough accessible uh also very clearly uh labeled as uh, uh, legally downloadable shareable transformable translatable remixable uh you even allow commercial reuse of uh, uh the transformed material the Apart from public domain, this is the most liberal licensing uh, available. And possibly one of the reasons why you chose that is because you realize it is better for the ideas collected in this report to travel and to spread rather than being uh, maximizing the short-term gain that an eventual uh, monetization could 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 bring yeah, totally. uh, now the the um, executive summary is 20 pages the full report is almost 250 pages um so still quite daunting to yeah. absorb it all um anything in an executive summary that is beyond one page already taxes the attention span of executives uh, now how can um uh, uh, wh what are the highlights and this this is not a this is not a a, a workbook it's it's not a, a a set of exercises that someone checks off and at the end uh, they they are done right uh, at the same time uh, it, you want to be able to measure the results of some organizations that are adopting it so how do you uh, bridge the, the the framework with with practical implementation and and measurable feedbacks so um it's a great point uh, by the way i think the executive summary is one page but the overview is 20 pages so oh, okay very good so so i was yeah. right and you know it one page somewhere one page I, I have the same add problem as every other executive but um the Look, you know, the answer to your question is I try to do two things. Um, and, and by the way, I was motivated by the fact that there's quite a lot of literature around this, but I hadn't really found anybody who brought together many of the things that we know, right? In a way that can be applied in companies outside of academia, right? And so what I tried to do is, let's talk about the, the concept first. 
right? The concept of, you know, your choice is no more between a hierarchical design or some robots that take over some predefined workflow, but it's really how it's really about how do you harness the power of a network of individuals and then machines that can really help those individuals become more effective, right? Um, and so, so the idea is is this, right? You know, how do you um, create a uh, an organization by doing four things, right? And, and this is actually specifically what we want uh, AI to do: um, connect people and ideas, uh, curate information so that those nodes can actually um, uh, can uh, absorb uh, that, help people and nodes collaborate, like you and I, right? I mean, we we are now, you know, we got together because of virtual means. We never met uh, at any physical event and. This you know a bunch of people are watching this, and this is completely. By the way, there's a bunch of AI in making sure that the quality of voice and video is perfect, and you know bandwidth, etc. And then help people collaborate. Again, this is this is where ideas need to commingle and cross pollinate, and etc. AI can help a lot with that too, right? And if you look at um, you know Slack and Microsoft Teams and and the future of those things, will, which will be very heavily natural language processing uh, based, uh, and then compute, right? Any other very heavy duty prediction that machines need to do, right? You know, a machine can predict if uh, I am supposed to meet with two or three people on LinkedIn based on network analysis that an artificial intelligence um, thing will do. So this is the application of AI, but I think what's even more important, I think, in, in the book is, apart from the concept, is, you know, from a, if you're a manager and a leader who really want to use, um, um, you know, a collective intelligence organizational model, you really want to think about structuring um, things. Again, you know, that's, that's exactly where it is, right? So if you look at, you know, there are four steps that people need to do. And, you know, I, I take, uh, I, I talked about uh, risk killing a moment ago, but you can use the same for a variety of things, your innovation groups, your marketing groups, your salespeople, your solution architects, anything. So first of all, in a network, there's no boxes and lines, is is a network, right? So you need to enable the nodes who need to be connected to each other to kind of discover each other. So suppose that I'm a consulting firm and I have a big client tomorrow that I need to meet and the client wants to talk about artificial intelligence and the client is a retail client. Well, if I'm a consultant who's serving the client, I go. I need to go and find the retail person, the artificial intelligence person, bring them together. If it is a large organization, how do I do that? Right. So again, very powerful role of making sure that the nodes in your network can talk to each other, right? Can can see each other, right? Can can find each other easily. The second element is energize those connections. Right? Like in the brain, you know, the brain actually like, you know, the cells in the brain like uh, to talk to each other also because there are things called hormones, right? Hormones express certain parts of the brain in certain moments and that creates a, a certain amount of energy. I think the analogy carries. In organizations, as you very well know, <clears throat> you know, depending on the culture, people will talk or not talk to other people, right? They will talk to their organization, but not that organization. And so there, there are plethora of uh, incentives, both intrinsic and extrinsic, that need to be put in place so that the energy of the connectivity expresses itself, 
many organizations actually inadvertently dissuade people from connecting to each other, right? So the third element is the feeding, right? So there needs to be an institutional effort to provide outside-in, external breeding to groups within the organization and avoid that groups within the organization insulate themselves. I mean, the problem with silos, right? Um, you know, birds of a feather, uh, you know, flock together. The problem is that uh, there's something, uh, that, that, you know, something called homophily, which is, you know, two people who are the same, they tend to actually bond together more than two people who are not the same. By the way, we have big problems with diversity and inclusion because of that reason. So those feeders need to actually force new thinking into groups so that those groups never have the, uh, the, the opportunity to actually insulate themselves, right? Anti-vaxxers or uh, flat earthers or that kind of stuff. You know, if there's enough feeding of contextualized and, and, and believable, credible knowledge, you know, it will take um, problems away. And the last one is the wiring. Again, collaboration methods, collaboration platforms, design thinking, everybody's been talking about it for the last five years. One of the reasons why design thinking is there is because it allows people who are very different from each other to come together and maybe create new products, create new services, create new concepts. It's actually a way of bringing people together. And one of the reasons, by the way, that you know Slack is important and a bunch of those collaboration platforms, if you look at Microsoft, the latest product of Microsoft and the one that really betting the farm on is Microsoft Teams. And it's a collaboration uh, a platform. So I think as a, as a leader, right, as a CEO, you want to do something that engage, that ignites collective intelligence. Those four macro areas with a bunch of work, work packages and work streams behind them are the kind of things that you got to think about. You know, this is the inception of the strategy. And, and obviously the report goes into the gory detail of, you know, how you do it, the technologies that can do it, and a bunch of examples and case studies. Um, I am so glad that the four words, the initials of the four words, do not form a punchy acronym. If they did, I wouldn't trust you. Yeah. No, I didn't, I didn't even try. I, I tried to actually mean what I say as opposed to make it sound uh, chewable. Uh, the 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 marketing driven uh, design of certain uh, business uh, uh, school uh, fair is is depressing. So uh, thank you for for keeping your standards high. Um, now, um, one of the uh, natural consequences of the acceleration of change, or the increasing rate of acceleration in certain fields is that if there were a central thinking inspiring or even imposing uh, the uh, actions needed in order to find solutions to challenges, uh, solutions made possible by the technologies, challenges created by the same technologies as they disrupt uh, existing processes, uh, well, the probability that the centrally decided solutions would be the right ones is is uh, trending to zero, correspondingly with the speed of change. Um, and as as a consequence, uh, the centralized peripheries and the nodes of the the network at the edges are necessary in order to conduct 
independent experiments that can be observed in their own merit and then they uh, implement a natural evolution that will generate what is worth adopting all across and and uh, this is something that is being understood better and better unless you are a central banker unless you are a regulator in a nation state unless you uh, need to uh, approve certain drugs being uh, uh, available in the market so given the paradoxical nature of of avoiding both uh, the 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 myopic laziness of fanatical libertarian positions that that uh, will be happily adopting the local maxima that uh, any market driven uh, solution will find and it will stop uh, searching for anything else mm. on one hand and, and and avoiding the suicidal um, um, uh, the, the the suicidal position of the central controlled uh, uh, strategies yeah. that will say this is our five-year plan we stick to it because the the the, the politburo decided it or or whatever central committee uh, how can we uh, mitigate the impossible task that a policymaker and a regulator have of of giving answers to an unknown field how can they uh, uh, understand what the consequences of self-driving cars or or synthetic meat or personalized health or cryptocurrencies are going to be um while nobody else does and and not extinguish the passion for innovation that should be intrinsically uh, supported uh, helping competition helping uh, uh, new business models helping a thousand of these necessary experiments flourish wow that's a question right there you you, you realize that that's a big book in itself the perspective that i bring to that is um the following uh, first of all exponential is very rarely centralized or fully centralized you know in order for you to should generate an exponential system you know the boundary the the architectural boundary of a centralized architecture it limits you know you end up not having the ability to uh, to do that um so you need to you know back to your point about natural experiments etc it's super important to use natural experiments i mean if you look at the system par excellence which is the natural system around you you know that thing without any central me control mechanism just a storing of knowledge mechanism that is called dna and the mutation uh you know over billions of years has created everything we have around us right so it, it actually natural experiments actually work right they work at, at scale and they and they they go exponential i mean the, you you see around us now i think part of the problem is you know, our institutions were built and designed in times in which we didn't have all of the stuff that we have now. There were times of low information intensity, uh, were times in which, you know, I came from the US a few months ago and I love 
working and living in the US, but you know, founding fathers, this is not the time anymore, right? I mean, we have, in theory, you know, we all know, for example, that um, uh, political institutions are always playing cat and mice, and they typically are the mice with um, new uh, development of technology, right? Because they don't have enough of the right people to understand the implications of those new technologies and translate them into social policy. But in theory, they could actually avail themselves of I, I would wager that by a bunch of people out there would be helpful to, you know, you know how it works, right? I mean, you create a committee and then a committee studies something, there's a few experts, and then, you know, they, they work on this for six months and then drop it on policies, help, you know, and, and this thing is just old, right? I mean, you could have done it 50 years ago. Whereas in theory, look, you could get a bunch of volunteers, you could get, uh, you know, natural language processing, uh, you know, GPT-3 in the next version, and then you say, well, within a couple of days, I, I can actually give you the implications of this on this very specific problem. So, so I think government forms need to evolve to a high uh, speed information era. At the same time, I think the problem with um, with markets and just completely, you know, decentralized thing is the implications of some of these things have externalities that the laws. And even the understanding of certain people cannot prevent from going into the wrong place, right? I mean, you know, a bunch of things that we can do creates a lot of problems for a lot of people. And we, as the creators of those new technologies, of the methods, we don't pay for any of the displacement and it can it can go somewhere else. I mean, for many, many years we had pollution problems and, you know, were never paid for. Uh, cancer for you know cigarettes. I mean, there's a bunch of things that the market doesn't really solve because the market really doesn't understand externalities, except if there's a law. But laws are very slow, and they're very you know they're slow in many respects. So that's the problem with the market mechanism, right? So I think you need to have both, um, and and to me, both of them need to collaborate with each other at the speed of. You know the the collective intelligence technologies that we have today, as opposed to, you know, some days you know you watch the uh, 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 the hearings in the uh, in Congress of you know four of the biggest CEOs of the most you know uh, you know coveted uh, technology companies in the world, and and you're saying is that really how the public and the private sector should actually collaborate and communicate? It kind of felt more like a, a circus than an actual exchange of information. Right. So to me, this all, but hey, we've been doing that for 200 years. You know, what can go wrong? Well, what can go wrong is that the speed of change today, to your earlier point, is, is such that every time you do one of those, the ball was already moved, you know, the puck has already moved like, you know, three miles ahead. Right. So always going to be slow. In, and so I think the, it's a big problem. But, you know, right now I would actually look at the political institutions and the regulators and say, you got you got to up your ante in terms of, you know, really embrace uh, the ability to make sense of the world through the uh, through the technologies that we have um, and, and control things differently. Um, and and uh, some people who are uh, active in, in, in fields that are accelerating or jolting uh, have the, the the level of introspection necessary to to make um, some design decisions that can have uh, far-reaching uh, implications. Uh, 
for example, uh, many people kind of laughed or smirked when the for-profit um, fund that OpenAI established um, capped the return on the investment to its limited partners to not more than a hundred times the capital invested. Okay. And, 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 and that is laughable because the industry average or, or the industry threshold above which uh, um, uh, the return of a limited partner is deemed to be um, good. And, and then you can go back to them and say, hey, let's do it again. Let's do a new fund is three times the capital invested over 10 years. So to say, oh, I don't want to be too greedy, so I'm not going to be paying you back more than 100 times uh, the investment is, is really totally out of this world. But that's kind of the point. They have the perception and the chutzpah to communicate that perception to the outside world that does not share that, that this could be really different. That, that the ability of an AI-driven fund of the kind of AI that uh, they are designing, if not um, closely guarded, could run amok, could, could uh, as they, they say it, uh, uh, capture the entire wealth of the available life, uh, light cone of the, of the universe. <laughs> and, and they want to prevent that. So the... The, the ability to perceive and to communicate ideas and consequences that are inconceivable by most is a key component in order to start grasping the, the consequences of these, these uh, structures. Um, and, 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 and hopefully your report is also part of that, because the, our ability to uh, use the, the, the tools that we already have available is going to generate the next generation of tools. And, and the organizations that are good at that will acquire substantial and sustainable competitive advantage against the others that, that uh, stick to the, to the old uh, methods uh, of, of technologies and organizations. I agree. Um, I think, uh, frankly, between you and I, I think technology and the tools is, is already like two years ahead of the methods and the practices. So, you know, the part of, you know, the long pull of the tent is, um, can we get people to embrace things? Again, you know, back to the, uh, you know, James Besson book, you know, do you have people with the wrenches in their hand who know how to, you know, place um, uh, electric motors? Uh, the, the, the motors are there, right? I, I don't think that, that the problem is that obviously GPT-3 will get better, etc. At some point, maybe it's plug and play, but there's quite a lot that you can do with what exists today, right? Um, now, one consequence, and, 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 and this is uh, my last question, even though I would love to, to keep uh, the conversation going, maybe you will have the, the, the chance of uh, coming back uh, and, and, and I would love to invite you back. The last question is, if we are uh, evolving and co-evolving uh, with our machines, uh, with AI and uh, networks, and, and, and uh, your domain hints uh, at that uh, as well, I don't know 
uh, how consciously you chose uh, the 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 design uh, TLD top level domain um, part of it. It is also the case that the rules of evolution itself change. Biological evolution was was and is completely blind. Um, the evolution of society could achieve only certain things when we were disconnected. Now, we must take advantage of what is possible in order to adopt new types of evolutionary um, components, both because we are connected and the emergent properties of the network are available to us. We see them, we can see them if we want to. And because even those who opposed it most ferociously, like for example, Microsoft, realize how open collaboration and open source practices are superior. And, and they demonstrated it with the acquisition of GitHub, the largest repository of code and now I'm sure they are unleashing all kinds of AI bots to analyze why uh, uh, certain projects succeed, other projects fail, and, and, and so on. So as we design the supermind, what are, in your opinion, the most important emergent features and the most novel and powerful rules of this new layer of evolution that we can and should take advantage of yeah it's interesting again you know i go into some detail in in the report but um the idea is if a blind system can actually create us an incredible amount of intelligence and you know stored in in dna you know we some people made calculations uh you know uh, a few kilos of dna can actually store all the knowledge in the world just because it's it's so efficient in storing knowledge which so you imagine the amount of storage that is out there and you know the permutations that the world has gone through so imagine now that you have that plus some level of design right that's the reason why supermind design so the organic component is super powerful you know to me though you know the design here is like system um, dynamics design uh, as opposed to engineering design meaning that in a system in a, in a network in a system dynamic uh, you know, framework you only design the high leverage points you don't design everything it's like being a gardener right you plant seeds you prune you water things happen right uh, very different than building a house building a house has a blueprint you cement you put the wiring etc so but it's still design, right? You still have a gardener, and you know some gardeners are really good. Um, but the beauty of gardening is that the amount of information that is stored in your garden is like many, many uh, orders of magnitude bigger than the amount of information stored in a building, right? Because you know nature, if you look into it, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that is happening there. So the idea there is, can I get uh, organic? um growth of ideas and by just engineer designing the high leverage points can i get to a a higher level of intelligence because i think at some point our own human intelligence will just fail to keep track of what could be done and instead 
you know, the, the, the idea here is to unleash the power of a network intelligence by just leveraging of and, and guiding a few of the of the points, as we said, the incentives, the ability of nodes to connect each other, the collaboration platform. But then you don't go and look into everything every time, right? You just let the, 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 the network flow. That in itself should be an emergent hyperintelligence, right? You, you need to create the foundation, but then the rest might actually be uh, a superior level of intelligence that, you know, we kind of probably into it, but but we shouldn't, we wouldn't be able to blueprint, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what we can do is play system dynamics, right? Uh, and, and hope that it flies. Gianni, uh, this was uh, wonderful. Um, thank you very much. I am looking forward to, to learn how many organizations embrace uh, the, the, the lessons and the, the inspiration of uh, your report uh, that uh, is uh, once again uh, available to be downloaded for free on uh, supermind.design. Uh, and uh, I uh, 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 wish uh, great uh, success uh, with further analysis, further publications, further applications, uh, and I hope uh, you will be able to come back. Thanks a lot, David. Thanks a lot for uh, uh, asking me in. So uh, thank you all for uh, being on uh, uh, and, and following, uh, searching uh, for the question live. Uh, uh, thank you, Yuri, for uh, uh, being here. Uh, Emiliano says uh, it was an amazing episode. Uh, you always drive us in beautiful places of our mind. And obviously I do that uh, thanks uh, to our guests. Uh, so uh, uh, please uh, make sure that you suggest great guests in the future as well and vote on the suggestions of others, uh, that you join the community uh, at uh, uh, davidorban.com slash discord to keep uh, conversing. Uh, I also have an Italian language uh, YouTube channel and on davidorban.com slash YouTube Italiano, you can uh, subscribe to that too. And on patreon.com slash David Orban, um, if you choose so, uh, you can become a fan, a sponsor, a supporter, or a bene benefactor uh, of uh, searching for the question live. Thank you very much and see you at the next uh, episode.